0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to take those and turn them to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. We are continuing in our Advent series, Road to Redemption, as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi on their way to Bethlehem. This week, uh, I was impressed as I read through this text by what God shows us um, if we just give it a little bit more attention. If we look... A little bit more into what's taking place and see how God is at working, weaving in this passage. You may have noticed that it's Christmas season by your trip to Walmart or Walgreens or whatever other wall place that you go. And if you've, ever, if you've been in one of those places, you notice that Christmas stuff is everywhere. There is a possibility, with Christmas stuff being everywhere, that you recognize things for what they are. However, there may be a, a chance where you've noticed some, some zoomed-in photos. So I'm going to give us some zoomed-in photos, and they're going to be on the screen. And I want you to see if you know what this is just from the zoom that's there. Is that one easy or hard? It's easy. It is Thanos' infinity gauntlet. Uh, it's actually a nutcracker. So let's get a little bit harder. Uh, this one is number two. Number two. Does anyone recognize what this is? It, it's Italian ice. What? That has nothing to do with Christmas. Let's look and see what this is, this Christmas picture. It's a sonic Christmas mint. Look, one was a softball, two was a slider. Just coming across the plate. Let's go with number three right here. What is this? Santa's beard, I can hear you. He's standing upside down. Uh, number three is angel wings. This this. Anglican woman. Okay, okay. carry on to to number four. Number four. He's a mean one, Mr. Grinch. No, number four is a piece of fruitcake. If you zoom in intently onto the fruitcake. It's easy to miss what things are when we look at them too close up. And when we look at the story of Ruth, here in this... Tale of a woman and her mother-in-law going from one place to the other, it's easy for us to miss where God is in stories because you're just happening to catch them in the thick of it. Missing where God is in this passage as you read through the tale of what's taking place. Last week in chapter one, we walked through how Ruth and and her mother-in-law Naomi had to go to Bethlehem because. Her Ruth's husband, Ruth's father-in-law, and Ruth's brother-in-law had all passed away in this land called Moab. A place they should have never been. And as we look at the story, we can see here they are, returned to Bethlehem, and being in Bethlehem is going to be hard on Naomi. Just think for a moment as you sit there in your seat... About situations and circumstances in your own life. Places that bring to mind hardship and difficulty. A time when you've walked through something in a very certain place. Smells that bring to mind things that you have gone through before. Places where you were sad or disheartened. Being in Bethlehem is going to be hard on Naomi. For me, the month of December is hard. I was in high school. I graduated in 1993, if you would like to do the math. And when I graduated, uh, rather, I graduated in 1995. In 1993, my mother passed away, and it was the month of December. Every December is hard. Every December is hard. And I'm not the only person in the room who carries something like that walking through something difficult and having a reminder of that when I'm, when I'm in the midst of something. Here, we look at the story and we see Naomi is in Bethlehem. Everything is hard. She has just said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. And they have to figure out how they're going to get from point A, not to point Z, but to get from point A to point B, to point C, to point D. They're moving, slowly progressing in this story. And God offers up something incredible. There are going to be three things that we see in the text today that are sown throughout chapter 2. I don't want us to miss those. So if you're a note taker, feel free to write these three things down. You'll see these three things present in our passage. God's promises, God protects, and God provides. You'll notice them throughout. They're woven in the text. God promises, God protects, and God provides. Let's look. Chapter 2 of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man uh, of noble character from a family. He, his name was Boaz. Ruth, uh, it could also be pronounced booze, that's true. But that doesn't carry as well. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, "'Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind some fine favor?' And Naomi answered her, uh, "'Go ahead, my daughter.' So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's house. The KJV reads, she she hap. There was a hap there. I want to bring that back. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to his harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, "Well, She's a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She, she, asked, or she asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and she's been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little bit in the shelter. And then Boaz said to Ruth, uh, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they're harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, you go drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, she bowed to the ground, and she said to him, "Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice although I, so that you notice although I'm a foreigner?" Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land, and how you came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done, and may you receive full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant. Although I am not like one of your female servants at mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and, ha- and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. She, so she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over When she got up to gather the grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles, and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her. to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she'd gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you, Ruth told her mother-in-law, who she had worked with, and said, the name of the man I worked with, today is Boaz uh, then the, the Naomi said to her daughter-in-law may the Lord bless him because he has abandoned his kindness he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead Naomi continued the man is a close relative he is one of our family redeemers Ruth the Moabitess said he also told me stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest so Naomi said to her daughter-in-law Ruth my daughter it is good for you to work with his female servants, so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close... Ruth stayed close... To, Boaz, to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvesters were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We get to see the bitterness of Naomi taking a turn in the story. We see this turn to see how good God really is. We, we need to see someone who has grieved and lost. We, we need to see people who have felt alone and we need to see people who have been impoverished. We need someone who has struggled and who has walked through darkness and depression and despair. We need to see someone who has gotten to the other side of those things because there will be a point for each and every one of us when we are in the midst of it. We need to see someone who is beyond us to see that God is still with us. We need the hope of that. We need to, when, we, when I see the person clinging to faithfulness of God, looking and searching for it because they know it is there, it tells me that I can do the exact same thing. As we look for these concepts today of God's promises, His protection, His provision, let's think through how God may be walking with you right now in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your despair, in the midst of the, the sullenness of the world that we happen to live in. And if you're in none of those things, would you be hope for someone who is? Naomi had this relative on her husband's side. His name was Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character. The old, that, those are important words for us, that he's a prominent man of noble character. The Old Testament, when we're reading through it, it does not describe people a lot. And when it does describe people, it, it does so with intention for the sake of the story. When we read through the story of Abraham, we see that God told him to go. He got up and went. That's what you should do when you're told to go somewhere. He got up and went. We are told one thing specifically about Abraham, that he was a, an old man. It tells us that he's old so that we will see the contrast of him having a baby later. We see the story of Joseph. We don't get a lot of descriptions to Joseph. We just find out that Joseph is handsome, which gives a little bit of understanding to what would take place when Potiphar's wife threw herself at him. We read to the story of the man that we call, that we call Boaz, And when we read and see that he is a prominent man of noble character, it's using this name, it's using the idea of who he is to help us progress in the story. This descriptor is intentional that he's a prominent man of noble character. It helps us to see what's being told there. Ruth the Moabite, says in verse 2, Will you let me go into the field and gather fallen grain behind some, someone with whom I find favor? And Naomi said, Go ahead. Now, you can imagine being Naomi here as you are sitting there. You've returned to Bethlehem. Everything is sad. Everything is downtrodden. Your world is hard. You told everyone, Just call me bitter because I prefer that as to being called in. And as she sits there, her daughter says, Hey, I need to go and provide for us. Is it okay for me to leave you? Can I walk away from you for just a few moments so that I can make sure that we've got something to eat tonight? Maybe, just maybe, we can split something when I get home. Go. Go. When Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he looks around, The Lord be with you, letting us know, conveying to us again the noble character of this man. That he would look at his field workers and say to them, May the Lord be with you. It's the idea of contrasting what we talked about last week with the judges. That everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Yet Boaz is standing in the situation and he's reminding them that even in the midst of where they are, that there's this God that they know. There's this God that they worship. There's this God that he trusts He asks his servants, "'Whose young woman is this?' He sees Ruth in the field. And we're quick to read romance into this story because we read romance into every story. We add romance to stories. But if we add romance to this story, initially it doesn't make sense. Think through this with me, friends. The landowner is a man of valor. Ruth is not a woman of valor in the eyes of that world. She's virtuous for sure, but there is nothing prominent about her. Boaz owns a field. Ruth has nothing. Boaz is a powerful man in the eyes of everyone around him. Ruth is a foreigner who is living with a widow. Boaz matters because of who he is as a man. Ruth, her value is tied to her womanness, and she is barren. She cannot have children. She is a widow. They would know that she's a widow by the way that she dressed. There's nothing that should connect Ruth and Boaz. They are separate from one another a widow, barren, a foreigner. If Boaz, if we're reading this to see him pursue Ruth for the sake of seeing him pursue Ruth, it doesn't make sense because there is no advancement in power for Boaz if he marries this woman. And let's make no mistake, when we read through these stories in the Old Testament, the idea of him being connected to someone, the idea of marriage was used to advance your place in society. The servant answered, she's the young Moabite woman. Everybody's been talking about her. She showed up with Naomi. Naomi looked rough. She said she had nothing. There's this girl standing beside her who returned with Naomi from the territory. And then she did this, Boaz, verse 7. She was so bold. She came up to me and she asked a question. Would you let me collect the fallen grain from among the bundles? This is a Bible concept called gleaning. And you more than likely have heard stories about gleaning. You've got the idea of you getting the wheat, getting the grain from the fields. Getting the grain from the fields was a job. Boaz was the landowner. He had all of this grain growing everywhere. He has people who work for him who are going to go and collect the grain. Those men and those women who worked for him would get the grain together. But in the Bible, there's the notion of the foreigner, the widow, the poor, the orphan. It's how they would care for those who were in the worst of positions. Gleaning is how Israel took care of those who were in the deep, dark, depressed places. So here's the process. You've got the men. They go into the field. They use a sickle to cut down the grain. The men would take hold of it with one hand. They would take their sickle, their knife, their their fortnight pizza cutter, and they would chop off the bundle. After that, the women would walk behind him. The female workers, they were the binders. They would take what was chopped down. They would tie it together and they would carry it to the threshing floor. Behind level one and level two were the gleaners. They rolled in last and whatever did not get picked up, whatever was the overflow, the, the edges, they would take that home. You didn't get to take that home. You didn't take home that much. But in this story, you've got Ruth and she's gone to Boaz's number one guy and she says to Boaz's number one guy, can I go behind the harvesters? She's just asked a bold question, an important question in this text that we cannot overlook. She's just asked, hey, I don't want to walk after everything's been collected. I want to walk behind the person who's chopping stuff down. I want to be able to get as much as I can. How do we know that? How do we know that that's what she's asking? One, that's how the words play out. Number two, she doesn't have to ask if she's doing anything else. The whole society set up for her to get the stuff that's on the edges. She's just said, I don't want the edge stuff. I want, the, I want to be able to get more. The Leviticus reads this way. I don't read a lot of Leviticus in here. I should drop more. It says this, when you reap the harvest of your land... You're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I'm the Lord your God. She's just said, hey, I know the rules, but I want to get closer because I'm not just taking care of me. I'm taking care of my mother-in-law too. I want to be able to collect as much as I can. Uh, Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Uh, Listen, my daughter, don't go gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one. But stay here close to my female servants. Look, I want you to gather, but I want you to gather the good stuff. I don't just want you to gather the good stuff. I want you to be protected while you do. We have this poor image of gleaning because we've seen pictures uh, where people are walking in fields and they've got a basket on one arm and they're just slowly collecting the wheat that's there. Maybe you've visualized this. That's not what takes place here. It, it's a chaotic event. Well, at, at our last church, we had a huge Easter egg hunt that took place at Easter. You don't have Easter egg hunts at Halloween. And while we're having this Easter egg hunt, there's a field for three, four, and five-year-olds and there's a field for the older kids and they would hide the eggs. And then there's a field for, for the toddlers. And toddler could be defined as the little bitty ones. But also the babies were there. The thing about babies is they really can't collect eggs. The, the moms got there and she was a stroller. And I look over and there's a woman with a stroller. But I didn't see a baby in the stroller because she'd handed that to her husband. At the moment we said go, this mother took off running across the field with stroller in hand. And this full grown woman was collecting against toddlers throwing eggs in her baby basket. She filled it up. She was knocking kids over, bowling. It was crazy. When we read through this story of gleaning, that's the image that we should get because God's rules had said, "Make sure you leave some stuff on the edges and the outskirts for those who are poor." But gleaning's cutthroat. It's rough. It's literal Hunger Games. Harvesters could get rough. They would do everything but ignore the law because if they'd ignore the law, they would lose their jobs. A woman without a person with her was at a huge risk of being taken advantage of, of being victimized. How do you know that they would read the law like this? Well, let me ask you. How often do you give minimal observance to God's laws? Paying attention to the letter of it while missing the heart of it. Ruth could have labored all day and by the world in the world that she lived in, she could have brought home nothing. Wait, are you saying someone can work hard all day long and still not still barely have enough to survive? Are you saying that someone's situation in life can be full of hard work and they still have hardship? Are you saying that someone can work harder than everyone else and still struggle. Let me ask again, how often do we give minimal observance to God's laws, paying attention to the letter, yet missing the heart? One commentator says this, walking with God takes us into a sea of possibilities that stretch out our capacity for sacrifice and our imagination for obedience. Reminding us there's always more to following God than we think. If we are going to truly follow after Jesus, we are to not simply see the letter of the law, because the letter can be cold. But we are, as David, to see the heart of it. Because it's in the depth of who God is that we can understand what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. To be the people of God, living for the sake of God. Verse 9. See which field they're harvesting. This is what Boaz, still talking to Ruth this lady who just showed up at his field, and follow them. Have not I ordered the young men not to touch you? Again, letting us know that in this world, if these men are not giving this direction, they will do everything they can to take advantage of vulnerable women. When you're thirsty, go drink from the jars the young men have filled now, if you're, in work, if you're the worker in the field, if you're level one, the guy with the sickle or the pizza cutter, then you have water provided for you. If you're level two, the ladies who would collect, you also have water provided for you. If you're a gleaner, you don't have water provided for you. If you're a gleaner, you have to go back to the city well. When you go back to the city well, you get to draw the water. That's not turning on the spigot at your house. I said spigot like we're in the country somewhere. When you go back to draw your own water, you lose time, you lose energy. And not only do you lose time and energy, you run the risk of someone stealing all that you've collected. Verse 10, she just falls face down. She bowed to the ground. She said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice, although I'm a foreigner? And Boaz said to her in verse 11, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. He has noticed all that she has done and all of the ways that she's done it. He has noticed that she had, that Mara shows up with her back to her. He has noticed how she has not stopped caring, not stopped loving, not stopped providing. He has noticed that all that she is doing is not just for her, but for the one that she walks with. How you left your father and your mother and you left your native land and now how you come to people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord our God under whose wings you have come for refuge. There we see the idea of God's protection. People make this about romance. It's not. It's not about romance. Not yet. Ruth here in this passage, she is anything but helpless though. Let's not miss that because we're having language that would say to us that she is helpless. But this woman is not that. She's walked away from who she was and she's left her home, she's left her culture, she's left her family, she's left her gods to travel with a mad, bitter woman who cannot advance her cause in any way, shape, or form. If Ruth had gone home to Moab, she could have found another Moabite who worshipped that weird god of theirs. She could have had family and kids. She could have had all of those things. Yet here in this passage, you have her turning her back on all of that. Because there's something unique about this God. What Boaz is saying to her. Look, I can care for you. I can provide for you. In this moment. But you've got one true caregiver. That's this Yahweh that we know. Verse 13, My Lord, I found favor with you, for you've comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. I'm not like them. It's even more intense. At mealtime, Boaz said, Come over here and have some bread and dip it into the vinegar sauce. Now, this is a big deal because they're sitting there in a group of people, many of them who are Jewish, and as they are sitting there, you would have the outsiders and you would have the insiders. You would have the gleaners, you would have the workers, and you would have Boaz. And Boaz has just said to this woman who is on the outskirts as a Moabitess, who does not belong in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to invite you in. Eat with someone was a big deal in the Bible because you're saying to this outsider, you belong. You're saying to this person who's far away, you, you should be here. It's far becoming near. It's, it's closeness. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate, and she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Now, keep that in mind, that she had some left over. Eating together, this insider-outsider work. Boaz has just said, I'm an insider, and you're an outsider, but I've invited you in. Weaving the story of God to uh, in the story for us. That we were outsiders who he has invited in. We were far from him, and he's made us near. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his men, hey, let her even, verse 15, let her even gather grain among the bundles. Don't humiliate her. Again, letting us know the culture that they lived in was one where a woman would be humiliated, was one where she would be embarrassed. Do not say anything to her. You treat her as if she belongs to my family. That's what he does pull out some stalks from the bundles you do extra for her and leave them for her to gather don't rebuke her 17 so ruth gathered grain in the field until evening she beat out what she gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley so I'm not guessing you've measured barley this week she took home two weeks wages in this walk that's how much she took home. After she'd beaten out the grain, she got this before the process. So before she takes home this two weeks' wages, she's been walking around, carrying around about 120 pounds of grain. That lets us know a couple of things about Ruth. Thing number one, she could whip any of you in a fight. <laughs> Thing number two, they were listening to Boaz. Boaz. Ruth brought home the bacon, not literally, because they couldn't eat that. That's better material than y'all give me credit for. Verse 18, she picked up the grain. She picked up the grain. She went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she gleaned. So she goes home. She has her two weeks wages, and her mother's been waiting. I don't know if you've ever been a parent in a situation where you're waiting for your kid to get home. Will they just text me? Will they just call me? Will they let me know they're on their way? Parents ever been there? Got the teenager at your house? Had the teenager at your house? Hope's gone for like 12 minutes and she's my wife. And I'm like, hey, where are you at? (laughs) Mainly because I'm with the four kids by myself. Just please show up. Help us, Lord. (laughs) Boaz is displaying actual covenant love. A covenant not with Ruth, but with God. And as we look at this passage, the mother-in-law's been waiting. Where is she? She's hauling 120 pounds of grain, lady. It's going to take a minute. And when she shows up, stress shifts. Where did you get all of this? You're Right, your kids come home with something from school. Hopefully not Corona. And when you look over at them. Where'd you get this? I traded it. Shows up. Where'd you get this? Where'd this come from? Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said. "The The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. This whole story comes full circle. Then Naomi said to her, "May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or to the dead." The word kindness in that passage doesn't get it. Your Bible may say loving kindness, that doesn't get it either. It's a Jewish word. It's hesed. It's pronounced like your are growling kind of hesed, or your coughing. We don't have a word for it. It gets lost in translation. Hasid is a love shown through action. Hasid is a deep, loyal love. Hasid shows strong devotion. Hasid is the way that God meant for us to live together from the very beginning. One commentator said, Hasid is the love your neighbor as yourself brand of living. An active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen natures. Wait, one more time. For those in the back, the children. Hasid is a love your neighbor as yourself brand of living. An active, selfless, sacrificial caring for one another that goes against the grain of our fallen natures. Every one of us wants to fight against this idea of deep loving kindness. And God says, Hasid is you doing what he has told you to do. It's not driven by duty. It's not driven by the law. It is this commitment that bears deep into the marrow of your bones to voluntarily do what no one has the right to ask you to do. It's the love that God calls us to. And it's the love that God shows to us in Jesus. We read in this passage and we see the idea of this said love, this kindness that has been shown to the living and the dead. Well, who's it being shown to? Who's showing it? Is she talking about God? Maybe. Is she talking about Boaz? Maybe. Both are accurate. Both are answers. We don't It's pretty ambiguous when you read through it. However, let's not miss that this has said love is present in Ruth. Who's showing this has said? Is it Boaz or Yahweh? Well, we know for we're not sure who she's talking about. But when we read through it, we see that Naomi is overlooking Ruth. Look, we've been talking about the idea of provision, protection and promises in this passage. And it's very easy for us to read through this and say, provision, protection, and promises, those things are about Boaz. Of course they're about Boaz. How could you ever miss Boaz? And no one misses Boaz because he's called the kinsman redeemer of the story. And that's incredibly helpful for us. And we believe as Christian people that God promises, provides, and protects His people. That he cares for us. Let's not miss that. But also, friends, here's the thing. I don't want us to miss that this idea of hesed has been present from page one of this story in the person of Ruth. Naomi is missing that Ruth is doing these very things. Has Ruth provided for the emptiness of Naomi? She's been working herself to the bone in a field Has she protected the weakness of Naomi? Has she promised to be with her in the midst of her aloneness? That's the whole promise that we all read at our weddings. We see Ruth giving us an image of who God is in our lives. Let's not miss that. Because Ruth is showing us the provision, the protection and the promise that we ultimately will see fulfilled in Jesus. It's there in Boaz. But that doesn't cancel the fact that it's there in Ruth. She's been doing it every sentence of the story. And it's when we're in the hard places where we need provision and protection and promises. That we can see and understand God's deep love, His Hasid love. Because prosperity, it dulls our senses, and it causes us to miss God because we've done something ourselves. Ruth the Moabitus said, Stay said, He also told me this in verse twenty-one stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Don't try to find satisfaction anywhere else. Because you've got a field you should be in. Friends, let me just ask you this. How many of us are missing the deep, loving kindness of God? And I don't just ask that of you if you are far from him. I would ask if we are people who are near to God when we look at our world, how many of us are displaying the deep loving kindness, the chesed of God? How many of us are missing our chances to care for those who are in the hurting places because we have chosen to live by the letter of the law and we have missed the heart of it? To be God's people, putting God on display in a world that really needs to see it. But we've chosen to be angry or frustrated or argue. We've chosen to lean into conspiracies instead of Christ. We've chosen to miss the hope of Jesus for the hate that the world is communicating to us over and over. Let's not miss Jesus and his has said. Let's not miss what God has called us to, to be loving, to show loving kindness. Because that's the pathway to redemption. The people of God empowered by God for the purposes of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? So, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you speak to those of us who are far from you. That you care for us when you meet us in our deep, dark places. Lord, for those of us in the room who are in Naomi's spot right now. I pray that we don't miss you. I pray that we don't overlook the promise, protection, and provision of Jesus that's being on display right now through someone in our lives. Let us see it. Let us encourage it. Let us us love that person in the way that you do. Father, let us see redemption for what it is. Let us find ourselves in in the mess of this world. And be like Ruth in that we would choose to display that we trust in Yahweh who has revealed himself to us in Jesus. We ask this in your name, Christ.